Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and thank you for joining me. My guest today is Sri Srinivasan, who is the inaugural Marshall Loeb Visiting Professor of Digital Innovation at Stony Brook School of Journalism. During the COVID-19 crisis, he has been hosting a daily global conversation with experts and helping people to adjust to this new virtual world. Sri is a leading social and digital media consultant and trainer, working with not-for-profits, startups and companies from around the world. He served as the Digital Officer of New York City, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and Columbia University, where he was a full-time professor of journalism for 20 plus years. Interestingly, he taught a course on entrepreneurship, or should I say entrepreneurship, at Columbia for four years with Ken Lehrer, the co-founder of Huffington Post, the chairman of BuzzFeed, and the co-founder of the venture firm Lira Hapo. Uh, in 2015, Sri was named by Fast Company as one of the 100 most creative people in business. And in 2010, he was named one of the 35 most influential people in social media by the Pointer Institute. I came across Sri through my wife and business partner, Anna, who is a fully paid up member of the Sri Srinivasan fan club. She can't get enough of Sri and his podcasting and broadcasting. She thinks he's a genius and he joins me now on the line from New York City. Sri, thanks very much for joining me on GovComs. Delighted to be here. I'm sorry we're meeting under these circumstances. We're in, as you know, the epicenter of the epicenter in New York. And it's uh, tough days here, but we have great friends around the world, including in Australia. And as we watched you deal with the fires over the last year, uh, now you're watching us burn in a different way. Sri, it it is devastating um, to watch, you know, New York really the capital of the world. And for so many of us having been there and to see the life and the vitality and then to now just see that the, the place is closed down and in the grip of this this desperate um, pandemic. How how has it changed New York in these very few you know few short weeks since since it really took hold? Well, one way to think about it is to look at our own home. My wife and I and our seventeen year old twins are in lockdown. And you can imagine for everyone who's complaining about their toddlers or their 10-year-olds, how hard it is to control two 17-year-olds. And we have a dog and our wonderful dog has been doing her part. She normally goes for three to four walks a day and she's only now going for two walks a day. And that's because when you go out, it's sometimes absolutely crystal clear, beautiful, beautiful day, but if you know something is going to kill you. It feels like you're out in Chernobyl. There's something in the air. You don't know what it is. One mistake, you touch one wrong thing, you look at somebody the wrong way, and something bad could happen that you regret the rest of your life. That's how scary it is. From the elevator buttons to going in the supermarket, it everything feels like it's out to get you when, of course, it's not. But that's the feeling that we have in a city that thrives on connections and 
being people close to each other. And that's the vibrancy of New York. And now to see empty streets, you've seen Times Square when it's jammed with thousands of people. And then now you take any of the photographs and take a look and you'll see it empty, empty, empty. And it's heart wrenching to see. But we know we have to do that because that's the only thing that will flatten our curve. I believe you've already flattened the curve in Australia. Uh, Things have been quite effective here in terms of the way that the government has managed. um, You know, it's been a a real collaborative effort from, you know, the the federal government and the state government and they're that they really have seemed to uh, think very clearly and think very carefully and then organise themselves in a way where they've they've kept a uh, a consistency um, to the decision making and once they've made those decisions people have fallen into line and most everyone is practicing the social distancing um, and anybody returning to Australia uh, is going straight into isolation for a couple of weeks at the hotels either in you know the ports where they're coming in through Sydney or, or Melbourne and they're managing it very effectively, I think, and I think the the uh, the population has taken uh, a great sense of uh, encouragement from that, and there there isn't um, obviously the fear that you talk about here uh, in Australia is that there is in New York. But as you talk to your friends about that fear, how is it manifesting itself um, in the way people are are reacting uh, to each other? Well, partly by not even looking at each other. You, When you're walking down the street, you have this feeling that it's best not to engage with the people around you. And the saddest part, again, is our dog who loves meeting people and we have to pull her back. But now increasingly people are doing that as well. And you may also have read about some of the confusion around masks in New York. You know, uh, the government in America uh, said no masks. And then suddenly they said masks, please. And the president, while saying masks, please, he said, I won't wear a mask. And this is cultural difference between the U.S. and some parts of the world, especially East Asia, where you wear a mask because you are being polite by wearing a mask. Here, when people saw you wear a mask before this crisis, they presumed you were sick and you were trying to get me. Whereas in some cultures in East Asia, you're not wearing a mask is a sign is, is, you know, is the opposite side. So those are all the kind of, and you know, I, I don't mean to laugh, but if you don't laugh, you will just be crying because how tough it is to see what's happening. And America, which, you know, you kindly call the capital of the world, is also renowned for its healthcare system. And we are seeing such terrible footage of things happening inside hospital rooms in America where nurses are being forced to reuse their personal protective equipment. Some of them are being told to fashion things out of garbage bags and bandanas. And that is not the capital of the world. Mm. That is not a country that understands that things have to be different for their people. The countries of the world, all Western democracies, all you know, leading economic developed countries in the world have health care for their people. Here, I posted a, a, on, on Twitter, at three is my Twitter handle, I posted a tweet about a guy who his last thoughts before he dies is, what will happen, who will pay my bills for my family of my medical care? I mean, instead of worrying about his family, he's worried about how will they pay for his medical care? That's the situation we're in in this country, and a change needs to happen here. And we're hoping that something will change. You know, we, we said in New York another great tragedy was 9-11. 
and we said that things changed in America after 9/11. Actually, they did not. They changed if you were in the military. They changed if you were, you know, if you were Iraqi or Afghani in those countries. Thousands of people died. Millions of people died, and uh, we spent so much money and uh, blood and treasure was spent. But the everyday American, nothing changed. There was some security theater, as we call it, at the airport, but nothing changed. So we now have to ask the question: Will things change after this? Mm. And and what do you think? Will they change? Unfortunately, it depends a lot on what the government does. We have, as you know, in our president, someone who is anti-intellectual, anti-science, anti—you uh, uh, know—medicine, uh, anti-facts, anti-news, and it, you, you cannot imagine what it's like to live in this country now and have a president who lies every day from the podium. You know, in the, in the three years he he lied a lot, and it was a problem, but. Now it's people are dying because he's lying, and that's the difference in the two, right? So some of it was amusing, some of it was bemusing, some of it was stuff we didn't notice. But now this is where we are today, and to change things, you need a president who says, "Yes, these are problems. We can fix it. We're all going to pull together." You know, he calls himself a war president, and there's never been anyone who less war ready or less prepared for war. But he, no war. For example, he wants all the states to buy their own medical equipment, ventilators, and uh, and masks. And then he says that uh, I'm a wartime president. Well, in a war, do you think you'd make every state uh, buy their own masks? I mean, own guns and uh, military equipment? Of course not. The federal government would buy it, and that would make the country ready for war. So. We're seeing case after case of, of of things like that, and you know that America pulled out of the Paris Agreement. It turned its back on the global community. America was a leader of the world in partnership with great allies like Australia, and now we're seeing an America that is diminished in the world. And how it's going to help, uh, how it's going to lead the world or have a role in climate change, all of that remains to be seen. And I don't have the confidence, unfortunately. So listen, just in terms of the what you've been able to do with your, you know, Sri's daily COVID nineteen show, can you tell us the 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 backstory of that? What, you know, why did you think that it, the time was right for you to start to build an audience, and and how have you gone about putting the program together? Thank you, and uh, you well, you know all about this from your podcast, but I will say that. Uh, Part of what I've been encouraging everybody is to work on something, and this is my slogan: work on something. Work on maybe a novel. Work on something because we all have time. Unless you're an essential worker, you have time on your hands you didn't have. A shorter commute. I mean, the commuting time is gone. The time you went to bars is gone. The time you went to the beach is gone. So every day you have one or two hours, maybe more. What are you doing with that? Uh, there's never been a better time to try something new. Maybe a podcast. Maybe. Uh, a, a screenplay, maybe, you know, something you, the tools that make these things possible are so much easier and cost almost nothing. So I've been preaching to everybody that people will forgive your bumbling, fumbling first steps <laughs> because we're in this global community of all people working together. 
And so I've, I've been encouraging people to do that. And as part of it, I decided that I'm going to convene a conversation with some friends every day. And I like it to be live because there's no homework. You understand what I'm talking about, <laughs> right? Your team and you do this beautiful uh, post-production and put it all together and all of that. Yeah, mine is the poor man's version of your podcast. And I just go live and I've, I've invited one or two guests. And then we just keep building and building. And we've had 31 straight shows. Today's my 32nd day. And... We have had, uh, you know, half a, half a million people have seen some versions of these. And we're live on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube, on LinkedIn, all at the same time. And people who find me on any of those platforms are welcome to join. And by the way, I'd love to have you talk about what's happening in Australia uh, in a few days. We'd love to have you uh, come back and, and talk to us. Yeah. And the reason I've done this is that on that very first day that I did this, I had someone from Milan tune in and listen and this was at the height of the Italian crisis, as you as you remember, 30 days ago. And she just wanted to listen. And I brought a doctor on to to talk with me and an anesthesiologist in Virginia tuned into the show and asked the doctor a question. And I was so stunned by that, that that told you how unready this country was that another physician in Virginia had to ask my show and my doctor, and it's not even a show then, right? It was just a phone call. I mean, that's the state of affairs in America. So I decided that I'm just gonna do that every single day. I said, I'll do it until the lockdown's over or I, <laughs> I get COVID. And uh, so far, uh, you know, we're the, the days are winning. And so here we are tonight at day 32. And I just encourage everybody to try uh, doing something, working on something. There's so much opportunity. Anyone listening wants to send me what they're working on, I'd love to give them feedback. Sree at Sree.net, S-R-E-E at S-R-E-E.net. And I know that people will support them. And this idea of things becoming easier to do, I'll, I'll just say here, uh, imagine going doing things on just Facebook is complicated enough. But now there are tools that allow you to go on multiple platforms live at the same time, shows us how we can connect the world in different things. And my heart goes out to our friends who are in the cultural space, right? Imagine working in theater and not being able to mm. go to go go work in that or being a musician. And we've seen some of the greatest musicians of our time, like Yo-Yo Ma, the cellist, and so many people just giving away, doing these performances. And you saw um, so many of these online and how exciting that is. The question is, will we support these folks? Will we uh, donate money? Will we, when they reopen, will we go to them? Will we, you know, I don't know the answer to that. And even my own hesitation, my parents live in India. Uh, when can I get on a plane? When will I have the courage to get on a plane uh, in, a, in a tin can that's toughed with 500 people, 300 people, and go, you know, thousands of miles, the first guy to cough on that plane is going to be thrown off with a parachute or maybe not, <laughs> right? Or you go to a conference. Are you going to go to a conference? Yes. Do you need to go to a conference, right? Will the world bounce back? The president of America keeps saying it'll be a V, right? You, 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 you've dropped, the economy has dropped like a stone, but it'll bounce back like a V. Some people are saying it's going to be a U, a very, you know, fall and then straight line and then a tail that goes up, right? Like a U, sorry, that's my dog. Um, and, then, and then there are people who say, 
uh, like me that is going to be a backwards J where you have the fall, you have the long flat line, and then a little bit of an uptake, and you'll have that up backwards J if you understand that. Yeah. And and uh, I don't know if America is ready for that. I don't know if America and the world um, is ready for these. What about the second wave, the third wave? We're reading horror story after horror story because nobody knows. That's the other thing, by the way, that no one's saying, that no one knows, right? That's the part that's so upsetting to me that no one knows, but we just keep pretending. Even the sainted Dr. Anthony Fauci, who I don't know if his fame has reached Australia. I know, yet very definitely. No, we, we watch him every day. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we're praying for the 79-year-old guy who should be relaxing, and he's out there. And by the way, we have a president who retweets a fire Fauci hashtag. And then his his staff says, "Oh no no, that's not don't you you know you're raising fake things by saying that." When the president retweeted fire Fauci, that's the world we're living in, and it's uh, very scary. It's interesting the the universality of the of the concepts because yesterday um, I went for a walk in a local beautiful park here in in the capital of Australia in Canberra, and those two. Uh, two points that you raised around creativity and imagination and what is going to come, what's going to be the dividend uh, was one topic of conversation I had with my wife. And the second one was that one about travel and that sense of, you know, when are you going to have the courage to go again? When is that risk going to be at such a point that you, you feel that you, you, you wanted, you know, the, the benefit of what is there is, is going to be, but, you know, I suppose it's an individual decision for every person, but I know, you know, I'd, highly unlikely I'll be going anywhere anytime soon. And that's so sad, isn't it? Because that's what makes the world so great. We travel, we get on planes, we, we get out, we go out. That's all cool stuff that we get to do. And now we don't. I really like this this idea of encouraging people to do things because I think one of the things, and I've found it myself, I launched a new podcast last week and I've got another idea for a new podcast which I'm going to launch probably in the next two weeks. Um, we're also going to launch a, a global conference around government communications and we can. You know, we're, it's sort of almost like let's have a go, let's see what happens. Um, and that's great that you're encouraging people to do that. But if, if I could get a bit technical with you in terms of the way that you've gone about it, how do you plan your, you know, the editorial side of your program? You're giving me too much credit. Editorial <laughs> side of our program makes it sound like something that's real. But, but I understand what you're saying. And by the way, one of the things that has come out of this that is real is that as a as a alleged digital expert, people now see this and say, "Can you help us?" And so we have launched multiple uh, other folks' shows. People have hired me to put together conferences, taken on in in real life conference and turn it virtual. People have hired us to. Uh, do other kinds of things as a result of it. So again, the value in a business for something like this is that you people want to hear your stories. And we've been saying that you need to be doing storytelling for a very long time. And this is just an example of that. And so uh, in terms of the technical parts of this, uh, one of the uh, two things have come out, and then I'll explain the technology. A local radio station here called WBAI, which you can also hear online, WBAI.org, uh, called me up and said, we love your show. Can we simulcast it on the radio? And I said, sure. But they said, you've got to pick a certain date and a certain time every day to do that. That's how radio works. And I said, uh, I don't, I can't pick a certain date because it's much easier to say to a plausible guest is, 
give me any hour in the next five weeks rather than saying, give me, you know, 9 p.m. on Tuesday, because then it's easier for them to say no. It's very hard for them to say I have no time in the next five weeks, an hour, any time of the day or night. Mm. So uh, I now have a spinoff show on Saturdays, noon to 2 uh, p.m. Eastern time, New York time uh, on this WBAI when we it's a call in show. So we call it a coping with covid, a hopeful, helpful uh, call in show. And that's a way to just bring uh, some information to everyday people. And then I've been working with Hong Kong University that hired us to uh, host conversations with their top experts in medicine, economy, healthcare, all of that. And all of this shows that when you work on something, and I didn't do any of this to expecting a big audience, expecting anything. And I did it with this idea. I said, you know, no audience and no money. I'm just going to do it. And this is what I tell people. If you're not willing to do your project, your passion project, for no money and no audience, then you won't be able to do it for all the money and all the audience. Meaning you should be able to do it because you love doing it. And that's that time you have now that you didn't have before. You had the time, you have the time now, and this is where you can justify putting in two hours a day on something you love. I've had friends who've turned into hugely influential bloggers, for example, who just went out there and just did the blog. They didn't say, I'm going to have this much success, or in one case, a friend who got Bill Gates on his blog. Uh, and he didn't say, I'm going to start by calling it, you know, Bill Gates Talk to Me blog. He did it by just being the best technology blogger he could be in his niche and bu building over time to where Bill Gates said, oh my God, I got to talk to that guy, right? And that's the attitude that we need when we're doing creative projects. And what I try to do is every day come up with a different theme. And so we've done everything from talking to Italian doctors to finding out what's happening in India to uh, we did a segment called News You Missed because there have been several world-changing headlines that people haven't paid attention to because of everything that's going on. And we had a very big Bollywood star join us, and we've had uh, the biggest anchor on New York television, the editor in street of the Wall Street Journal is joining us. So all of this is to say that I didn't start by saying I want to get all these people. I just said I want to create quality content that somebody may like, and that's all we need to do. And I encourage everybody to think in that fashion. And I have a show uh, that I've been doing for five years that might be of interest to people in Australia because, first of all, it's at 8.30 a.m. in New York, so that's about 10.30 p.m. Uh, in parts of Australia. So it's perfect time to, if you want a way to go to sleep, I can put you to sleep. Uh, every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. New York time, I host something called the New York Times Read Along where I read the print edition of the New York Times out loud like a crazy person on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and YouTube. And we often have guests from the New York Times join us where we sit down and we just read the paper and discuss it and people from around the world watch. It's again, it sounds insane, but through that we've had some of the topmost editors of the New York Times have joined us. We've had Harlan Coben join us this past week. Harlan, some of you will know, has has 75 million books in print, has three Netflix shows. He's just an amazing author. And by the way, he said something to me that I want to share with your audience. I asked him, how do you stay positive? And he said, I stay positive because I believe in you bring your own weather to the picnic. You bring your own weather to the picnic. I'd never heard that. Yeah. And I love it. And that's right. So, you know, he says he has young kids. And when 
the kids are moping around, right? Like you could mope around or you could bring your own weather and decide that life is more about what you'd bring rather than what life hands you. And I'm a big believer in that. I'm a big believer in make your own luck and other kind of aphorisms. But aphorisms really help me get through the day because there is some value and some truth to them. Yeah. So then once you've once you've gone through this idea of 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 picking out, you know, what is, is of interest to you, and that sounds to me, you know, the, the driving editorial decision is that this is what Shree believes to be the most interesting thing for at this particular time that you'd like to speak with and, and, and you pick guests along the way. How then technically have you been able to stand up your your platform? And so yeah, thank you. And I use a platform called StreamYard. Um, S-T-R-E-A-M, like live stream, yard, like a yard that I don't have since we live in uh, an apartment building. And we, um, it allows you to go out onto all these platforms. But there are other things that do this, including Zoom and a whole bunch of other to- toys and tools. I just heard of one um, today called Get Vocal, something else. So there's so, I mean, this is one of the things that's going to happen out of this crisis is there's going to be innovations in technology, there's going to be innovations in healthcare, there's going to be innovations in attitudes. And I am so much in favor of those things. So I use the technology to uh, invite guests. And uh, I will say, you know, tell me when you're free. And then I try to book them into uh, a calendar. And we just go live and we just have a conversation. And uh, it's been fascinating. There is something that's missing in my shows that you have. And that's the power of audio. When Mm. it's just audio, you're doing a podcast there's something beautiful about it and the way that people love podcasts that's still missing in all these facebook type shows because the video is distracting and you don't really need it beyond a point and that's why podcasts are so great my wife is a podcasting consumer she's a queen of podcast consumption and everyone says how come you don't have a podcast and she says somebody's got to listen everybody i know is making a podcast someone has to listen So really, it's as simple as that. And then I suppose you know, to, I've I've watched it um, uh, in bed at night with with my wife <laughs> and your show. And you've obviously got some a bit of lighting there, and and you've got a microphone, so is it you sound good. But apart from that, that's about it, and a stable connection. Yeah, a stable connection. And this is also, by the way, what I tell my children who are complaining. I need anybody who complains that you know we are going through tiny, tiny slivers of want and you know wanting things because of the crisis right you feel like oh my god there's not enough food there's not enough toilet paper you feel all these things but you still have the internet you still have electricity how lucky are we think of all the refugees in the world Mm. who have all those first things the problems with the first things and don't have these things and they're running for their lives Mm. and so we have to be much more grounded and much more grateful in our lives for what we have and uh, i certainly have become more grateful since this has happened. And by the way, I can tell you that I have lost four people whose homes either I've been to or they've been to my home in the last 15 years have all died from COVID-19, which tells you something about the state of the world today. 9-11, I knew people who knew people who died, but not a single person. And here, four people, including one of the best chefs in New York, most famous chefs who won the chef, you know, top chef masters and all of that, Floyd Cardo's died. And that just brought everything 
just the way in England, Boris Johnson ending up in the ICU mm. made it crystal clear about that. And Australia connection, of course, is that Tom Hanks was in Australia when yeah. all of this went down. And that woke up people in America. If Tom Hanks, you know, the everyday next door neighbor kind of guy, and there he was hosting Saturday Night Live from his house this past Saturday. It was a wonderful full circle on that story. But it's yeah. not over in America. But uh, we love, you know, everything about Australia. I, I've not been to Canberra in 30 years, but I was in Melbourne a couple of years ago, and I have a dear cousin there. So I hope to come back and spend time in your wonderful country. Yeah, well, we'll certainly look to uh, to welcome you here, Shri. Uh, but but just a final question. This, this podcast... Um, is, is, is really a podcast for people who work in government communication and try to tell the stories of government. You know, 99% of what government does, uh, it, you know, is trying to create a public good of sorts. And there are a number of great stories that have essentially been locked up for many years because of, you know, perceived risk or fears or let's not say this or let's not do that. But this particular environment we're in now is starting to break that open and i think there's you know the courage is being spread throughout you know the you know bureaucratic arm of government around around the world what advice would you have for the the storytellers who are in government trying to connect with communities trying to explain what it is the work that they are doing yeah the this is this is really a moment for you know, as much as we say it shows how great the healthcare workers are, it also shows the importance of government and, uh, and, and government workers who fight and work for everybody every day. And I think it's really important that we be much more transparent and much more clear in what we're doing. Uh, I, I heard this from John Huey, who was the editor of Time Magazine and all the Time, uh, Time Magazine publications back in the day. And he said, in the in the real world, being clever is really important uh, in the analog world. But in the digital world, clear is the new clever. Clear is the new clever. And I've, uh, I've absorbed that so much that I try to practice that in everything I do. And government communications, if it can be more clear, it will be more clever and more useful to everybody in the world. And I believe that strongly. Well, that is fantastic advice, and I've just written that down, and I'm going to put that above my desk, and I'm going to talk to my team about it tomorrow morning, about being clear, and certainly yeah. in uh, the next little while, we'll, we'll look at that and see how we can bring that notion of clarity to our work. Um, that's a that's great insight. So, Sri, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. Uh, I know you uh, have got to get off, so if you can get to that 30-second program, good luck with it tonight. I'm sure it'll be a, a, another great program, and we're very grateful for, for you giving up some of your valuable time. Stay safe. I hope your family stays safe, and I hope uh, things start to get back to normal sometime soon there in, in New York City. Thank you, and same to you, and looking forward to meeting you in New York or in Australia and the connections between our people are so strong that I, I, I feel extra happy talking to you right now. Thank you very much, Sri Srinivasan. And to you, the audience, thank you for coming back once again. Great uh, conversation there by a wonderful communicator. So, and just just think of that inspiration. Just think of that, that project that you've been thinking about. Well, there's no excuses. How simple is that setup? And that notion of, don't go with expectation. Go through passion and, and stand something up, have a go, see how it works, and stick at it over time, 
and you too can build an audience around that thing that is really important to you. I think that's just great uh, inspiration there from Shri. So anyway, thanks for coming back again. We'll be back at the same time in two weeks' time. But for now, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.